Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Alrighty. Welcome to the Celtics Lab Podcast. I am your host, Cameron Tepsky. Joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. It is we're in, we're in the great beyond. The trade deadline has come and gone, and the Celtics made a move, but maybe not the move uh, folks were expecting. Although Justin nailed it completely. Justin's sick. I'm sick. Alex is covered in cats, and yet we persist. We welcome in to discuss the newest member of the Boston Celtics, Clemente Almanza of Thunderwire, because the Boston Celtics just traded for. Mike Mascala, formerly of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Clemente, how are you? Uh, I'm great, guys. I mean, I'm excited to be on the pod, talk to some Mike Muscala. Um, but, like, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, so here's the deal, if anyone doesn't know the specifics. Boston is sending Oklahoma City Justin Jackson Jr., we hardly knew ye, and technically two second-round picks, but one of those is a swap for this draft, and then the second one is in 2029. Uh, so the Celtics got Mike Muscala for pretty cheap, and they were able to use their traded player exception to absorb his not particularly hefty $3.5 million contract. Uh, Justin, you nailed this. You and I both have, have been on this for over a year now, but I think you nailed this exactly. I want to take a victory lap. I mean, I can't really be all that, uh, you know, tooting my own horn here because he's close to seven feet tall. He can shoot. Uh, he's cheap. He has another year under a team option with all that going for him. He was one of the more logical candidates. Uh, the kicker was that he had to agree to go where he was going because of the rules of his contract. So that was one of the things that was making it not super, super likely, but everything worked out for, you know, what happened. So I'm pretty happy about that. So Clemente, you were the editor at uh, Thunderwire. So presumably, you know, Muscala pretty well. Uh, help us understand who this guy is, what he's good at, what his weaknesses are, and what he brings to Boston. Yeah, I mean, Mike's been with the Thunder now. This is this was his fourth season, so he's been here for a little bit now. Um, he, he was tied with Shea, uh, Lou Dort, and Darius Baisley for the longest tenured players on the team. Um, what he brings is, you know, your prototypical stretch big off the bench. You can shoot the ball really well. Um, I think in his four seasons with the Thunder, I think he's shooting nearly um, 39% from three um, on nearly four attempts. So, like, even though, you know, and, like, Muscala has gotten, like, a, a ton of, like, national attention because the Thunder over the last couple of years have been a rebuilding team. Um, but like, he's been, like, one of the best stretch bigs in the league um, during that entire stretch. Um, if you look at his on-off numbers, he's, like, one of the best on the team. Um um, I, 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 which isn't too surprising when you consider the fact that Shea leads the league in drives per game and if you surround Shea with someone that can stretch the floor a little bit in Muscala, then obviously that's going to produce high-level offense. Um, he can defend a little bit as well. Um, great locker room guy. Um, all of the young guys here absolutely love Mike. Great, great with the media as well. Um, he's just a, a very solid uh, veteran who, who can provide spacing. 
Yeah, can um can I ask you to hone in a little more on the defensive end? I mean, I think folks know that he shoots roughly forty percent from three on several attempts per game, and he's pretty been pretty consistent there. But where is he at defensively? Um, is that are you being euphemistic or is he as a, a good defender? Oh, well, he can hold his own is on the floor. Um, that that's really all you can really ask for for a guy like Muscala's is thirty one years old. He's more of a stretch big. He's had ankle problems his last couple of years. Um. Well, yeah, he he can definitely hold his own against guys, especially against guys his size. Now, if teams are switching onto him with like one of their faster, faster guards on the roster, then obviously that's going to create a mismatch problem. But you can say that about like, a, a ton of players like Muscala. But overall, I mean, um, Mark Dagnall values defense a lot, and if you don't play defense, then you're not going to see the floor. Um, and obviously, you know, considering Muscala has been a key part of the rotation since he's gotten here. Obviously, he's he's done his part in terms of in terms of defense. He might be limited size wise and talent wise, but um, effort's not going to be a problem with him. Cool, I like to hear that. Um, am I right that he doesn't have he has neither Twitter nor Instagram? Yeah, he doesn't have either social media. He, his dad does. Though. His dad's pretty active on Twitter. Um, <laughs> so we don't we don't maybe need to get too into Mike Mescal's dad's Twitter. Um, listeners, oh. you can check that out if you want, but. It's not yeah. great. <laughs> oh, I don't know what we're talking about, and I'm I'm alarmed. I shouldn't have asked. Uh, let's just say that his dad has some questionable viewpoints on race. Oh yeah. no! <laughs> but it's not Mike. It's his dad, and uh, Mike. Lots of Mike's us have problematic nice. dads. Man, that's we could end the pond there. What a great <laughs> summary of life. That's a good memoir title, Justin. Lots of us have commented. <laughs> okay, let's let's focus, oh, everyone. Uh, Clemente, any other thoughts on Mescala? Do you think that's fair return? And and do you get a sense that there was any sort of bidding war going on? Uh, I was a little bit surprised he was traded. Honestly, um, ever since he's been here, he's talked about how much he loved the cities and how much he he's grown accustomed to living in Oklahoma City. I think his girlfriend's from here as well, um, and they had an apartment together. Um, so I was a little bit surprised that Muscala got dealt. Um, but in terms of like the actual trade, I think it's about expected value. I mean, you get two second round picks, um, one in 2029 and one that's probably going to be in the fifties. Um, maybe OKC could have gotten a little bit more, but like in terms of like what you could have realistically expected from Mike, I think that's about as good as you'll get. Um, in terms of like there being a market for him, I mean, I'm sure other teams call for Mike as well. I mean, like you mentioned, he's on a cheap salary. He's on, he has a, team option for next season as well um and you know he provides spacing as a as a stretch big and that's always something that's uh super valuable in today's game um so i'm sure other teams call it as well but um overall i mean i think the deal is fine i think the fun if i had to grade the, the deal for on the funder side of things i'll probably give it like a, a c plus b minus but yeah yeah i guess it's worth pointing out that the, the celtics front office and the funder front office have something of a relationship so maybe this was uh, not a sweetheart deal, but maybe that had something to do with the favorable terms that Boston got. Because uh, it's really like a perfect deal for the Celtics. Um, they functionally don't surrender anything that, that is going to change the, their fortunes moving forward. And they bring in a starter quality or nearly starter quality big man in reserve who is a veteran who's been up and down. I mean, this was an A++ for a Celtics team that really was working around the margins anyways. Um, Alex or Justin, I assume you agree. 
Uh, yeah. I do let me just jump in real quick to say that that 2029 pick might actually be pretty valuable depending on how the Celtics, uh, shall we say, trajectory goes in that that uh, future realm. But uh, it's also worth mentioning that Muscala has some experience playing alongside Al Horford in Oklahoma City, as well as previously uh, when they were both in Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think one of the things about Muscala is he's a journeyman. He's bounced around the league a little bit at this point. Uh, Atlanta, Philly, Oklahoma City, um, and in each one of those places that he's been, he has just kind of been a pretty effective plug and play guy. Um, you know, I think at this point in his career, I'm thinking that he's he's going to get minutes on this team. I don't expect that his role will be gigantic outside of giving Al Horford and. Robert Williams some games off and maybe getting a couple of spot minutes here and there, depending on a playoff series. But, you know, he's just another option to have in the front court and to kind of add to what was already looking to be, I think, a pretty strong playoff rotation. The key for Boston, of course, is that they really did not give up any particularly meaningful pieces outside of that second round pick that you mentioned, Justin. And the thing about that is Boston is in a position now where they have acquired a solid player through not that much outside of a second round pick. Um, they have all of their future flexibility when it comes to picks, uh, first round picks outside of the picks they've traded for Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon, um, which is still a pretty substantial amount. Um, and they have a decent amount of change to work with on the buyout market where they're expected to be one of the top players in a buyout market that I think is going to be unusually heavy on talent this year. So if you look at the sum total of what Brad Stevens did leading up to the trade deadline, it's not like Mike Muscala is like a sexy big time move that's, you know, oh, the Celtics are overwhelmingly the title favorite now. What it is is a solid single that doesn't compromise any of their flexibility for what, what is already a championship level team. And so in that sense, I think it's really hard to give it anything other than an A. I think that's fine. I think if Robert Williams or Al Herford suffer an injury in the postseason, this trade definitely becomes a home run, not a single. Um, it becomes like a, a levy of like real import. Um, so yeah, it's probably a single in the grand scheme of things, but uh, just like worst case scenario, it really makes a difference for the Celtics, I think. should also Let's... mention the disabled player exception for that buyout market gives Boston an edge over most other teams with $3.2 million worth of spending power which we'll get to, we're going to stretch the content. We'll talk about the buyout market soon enough. But instead, I'm going to pause the action. We're going to talk about our friends over at betonline.ag. And then Clemente, the Thunder made another trade. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about all the other trades or some of the other trades. There were a lot of them. BetOnline remains your number one source for all your Super Bowl betting this season. Get analysis on every play, prop, and point at betonline.ag. You'll find the latest odds and team matchup info, player news, and game trends over at Bet Online. And with betting options for everything from the national anthem to the halftime show and even the Gatorade bath, Bet Online is your Super Bowl headquarters this season. You can head to the website today or use your mobile device to check out the most comprehensive Super Bowl info on the web. Don't forget to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit and get in on the betting action. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Clemente. The Thunder had another trade. They brought aboard Dario Saric and a second round pick for Darius Baisley. I think I have that right. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, 
come heading into the deadline, there is basically like the most talked about player uh, locally in terms of who could be traded away because he's going to be entering restricted free agency this upcoming summer, and he's basically been out of rotation this entire season. So it kind of felt like both the funder and Baisley were kind of parting ways there one way or another. Um, but I mean, yeah, uh, Baisley goes to Phoenix. He's reunited with Chris Paul, um, who he had his best season under. Um, and he's probably going to fill a little bit of the Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson role that they lost in the, the Ram trade. Um, Baisley's best season, it's not surprising, Baisley's best, best season was his rookie season where he was very limited on offense when it comes to just being a catch and shoot guy. Um, I'm expecting him to return to that type of role with Phoenix. Um, he can defend a little bit. Very athletic guy. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Phoenix needs to shore up a little uh, on their depth after they, after they traded away a lot of it for, for Kevin Durant. And Baisley is a solid player to, to acquire. Was, where was Baisley in the, in the depth chart? Because I guess Saric basically steps in for Muscala. Um, so that seems like an easy plug-and-place, but uh, how are the Thunder going to miss Baisley, uh, if at all? I don't really think they'll miss Baisley at all uh, this season. I think he's averaging, like, the career low in minutes. Um, I think he's only averaging, like, 15 minutes per game. He, he He's had a bunch of uh, DMPs, coaches' decisions. Um, with the Thunder adding a ton of talent over the last couple of draft cycles, it only makes sense that Baisley's uh, priority, or the Thunder's priority with Baisley kind of kind of lowered throughout the last couple of years. Um, so in terms of like missing Baisley, I don't really think they're going to miss him that much because he just wasn't getting a ton of minutes because the Thunder have younger, probably more talented players to prioritize with developmental reps and minutes. Fair enough. Um, do you anticipate any member, uh, of the Thunder being, uh, bought out and joining that, that rich buyout market? Uh, I mean, I think it's already been reported. Um, I forgot who, but I think someone reported Justin Jackson's gonna get bought out so oh. he's the first guy that comes to mind um but like besides that maybe dario sarge but like if you buy a dario sarge then the funder are gonna have two open roster spots um i i'm thinking sarge probably stays just because of that to to fill in some minutes and to have an extra body um but yeah i mean justin jackson is probably the the most likely one all right that's i mean that's gonna change the playoff race pretty heavily uh, <laughs> just while we have you on the Thunder, and then we'll, we'll crack it open for the rest of the trade deadline. I haven't looked into this in a while. Is there any chance Chet comes back this season, Chet Holmgren? Uh, no, the Thunder made it pretty obvious uh, multiple times now that Chet's not coming back this season. I know like some fans um, for, uh, are, are, are kind of hoping that that's not the case, especially since they're probably, I mean, if you look at their strength or schedule, they have like the third easiest schedule remaining, and they're like in the thick of the playing race. Um so all Dart are probably going to be in the plan, at least. Um, mm-hmm. And I know some fans are clamoring, like, well, does that mean Chet can play in the playoffs? Um, but no, the funder made it pretty clear that Chet's not coming back this season. Um, and talking to other reporters around here as well, they've, they've said the same thing. Um, and not only that, but, like, if Chet comes back this season, I think he loses his eligibility to to win rookie of the year next year. So oh, it interesting. Just, yeah, so it just wouldn't make any sense from, like, a personal point of view to come back and play a couple of games in April and lose that possibility of like getting all of those rookie accolades. So yeah, I'd put it zero percent or as close to zero percent as you can get. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, I just I knew that I hadn't really thought about it in a little bit. I wanted to ask. All right, let's uh let's open things up and we'll we'll start with some of the more consequential transactions and then if we have time we'll talk about some of the other ones. Uh, probably the most important one, uh 
let me let me peel that back. The most important one, and perhaps the most important transaction in the history of the modern trade deadline. Kevin Durant and TJ Warren are headed to Phoenix in exchange for Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, four first round picks, and a twenty eight pick swap. Clemente, I know you have to go. Oop, we lost him. Never mind. He didn't want to talk about Durant. Um. Yeah. Okay. Let me pose this to you all. Uh, I have a friend who thinks that this was a really good deal for the Nets. I don't think that I, or more accurately that the Nets did a good job in the past three years. I don't think that at all. I think no. it's like, they yeah, did okay. a good job of what they had, but it was, they've done a terrible job in the last three years. Yeah. Okay. I think that's pretty clear. I mean, anytime that you go from having championship or bust expectations to being a fun, plucky core, that is not going to win anything. That's got to be deemed an organizational failure. Yeah, like a hilarious, like a, unbelievable dereliction of duty. Okay, cool. I, I knew I was right about that. Um, any thoughts on the Durant trade? I mean, the Suns, I think, now have the third best title odds. Uh, yeah. The the caveats are pretty obvious, but I think it's just like outstanding work from the, from the Suns. It is outstanding work from the Suns. And what's really crazy about this trade to me is that, you know, one of the things that was difficult about trading Kevin Durant in the summer was that a lot of teams couldn't position themselves to trade for Kevin Durant without severely compromising their future in an immediate win now move. The Suns have managed to thread the needle of positioning themselves to be a true blue 1A title contender right now while still having a solid core of DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker to fall back on in case Chris Paul and Kevin Durant end up over the hill in the near future. I mean, Cameron, I don't know about you, but I, I think that this team, as currently assembled, even with the depth issues that they might have from gutting their roster a little bit to get Kevin Durant, to me, they strike me as the clear favorite on paper in the Western Conference now. I just can't imagine how you're supposed to guard a stagger screen set with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant and then also having DeAndre Ayton underneath to clean up and Chris Paul organizing the whole thing. It's, they're not a perfect team. And I think it's exceedingly likely that it will take perhaps longer than this season for the Suns to be at their best. But just from a raw talent perspective, this is, I think, the best team in the Western Conference. Yeah, I don't think sorry, you stop you... them. I think injuries stop them. They're the age, the injury factor, I think that's the only real thing. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Cam. No, I was going to explain my uh, confusing behavior for the YouTube crowd. Um, Justin, I think you're right about the the injuries. And I think, you know, there's a world where Aiton and Monty Williams aren't getting along. There's a world where Chris Paul is quite unhappy. Um, but yeah, Alex is right. This is the best team in the West and it's probably not even close. Um, the reason I was looking at my phone is the Celtics injury report just came out for Friday. Not that it matters because they're playing um, the Hornets, but it's a two-pager on Twitter. We haven't seen one of those in a while. Jalen is out. We can talk about that now if we want. Um, Gallo's out. Horford might be back. Smart is out. Tatum is sick. And Robert Williams is probable. So Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The hospital Celtics are back, and uh, 
it just caught my attention. So sorry for the YouTube no, crowd. That's important stuff. Uh, do we? Well, let's talk about Jalen's face at the end. We don't know that much other than it yeah. sucks. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. Um, any other thoughts on the Durant trade? It's it's a biggie. I mean, we were spoiled rotten this trade deadline. Yeah. I mean, I do think that like the Brooklyn Nets, at least from a trading perspective, probably did about as well as they could in this situation. If you know that Kevin Durant is trying to get out, I really like Mikhail Bridges uh, and his long-term trajectory as a player. And I think they have now a very intriguing young core with a lot of movable pieces in uh, Cam Johnson coming back in that deal as well. They got a lot of pick value for uh, Jay Crowder, five second rounders, which is ridiculous. Um, and, you know, I think Brooklyn is now in a situation where they go probably seven, eight, nine players deep of like, these are solid NBA starters, any one of which could be moved for an upgrade of some significance uh, in the near future. Now, we've seen what happens when the Brooklyn Nets, you know, take a promising young core with a lot of movable assets and go all in for a superstar. I think there's definitely some organizational problems that Brooklyn needs to work through before they are really in a position to contend again. But as far as getting value for Kevin Durant, you know, it's hard to do better than two promising young players, one of which is probably going to make an all-star team or at least a couple in their future. Uh, and then four unprotected first round picks and one pick swap. That's, that's about as good as you're going to do in that situation. Probably we should also consider the fact that two top 25 players in the league are now no longer in the Celtics way to the Eastern Conference finals and beyond. So I think that's also something very important. Oh, I'm considering it, Justin. There's only yeah. one team in the Eastern Conference that gives me any sort of sweat at this point. And we talk it's, about them? Well, I think it's probably a logical transition. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so of you... I know that you're talking about the Bucks, and the Bucks We're talking did, about the Bucks. <laughs> did land Shea Crowder. Yep. They did uh, send out George Hill and Serge Ibaka as part of that trade. Do I have that right? Well, um, yeah, no. Like to set to separate teams, not really connecting them, but as a result of trying to functionally, the yeah. Make everything yeah. Work, yeah. So yeah, and functionally. Five seconds. Yeah, but like, who, what what's in a second round pick? You know, like. <laughs> Really, not much. <laughs> Forty-eight times second-round picks were traded at the trade deadline. Okay, so the Bucks get Jay Crowder. We haven't seen Jay Crowder play in a while for, uh, I guess, obvious reasons for anyone who's paying paying attention this season. What do you want to say about the Bucks, Alex? Now that we're post deadline, I mean, what I want to say about the Bucks is I don't particularly think that like the Jay Crowder move is going to make them massively better than they were. He's a solid rotation player, at least or was a solid rotation player. Um, and I think the thing that the Bucks have been worried about is they need to have more bodies to throw at Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Uh, and Jay Carter is that, but it doesn't strike me as like a massive ceiling raiser for them. The Bucks will always live and die by their true superstar Giannis. And if Giannis is on fire, it doesn't really matter who's around him because he is probably the best player in the world at this point. Um, if Giannis struggles, as he has in the past with the Celtics defense during the course of a seven-game series, then the Bucs will probably not win. And I don't think that Jay Crowder has a whole lot of outcome impact as far as whether the Bucs win or lose that series. I think one thing that it does for them is it gives them an option for uh, taking Grayson Allen out of the rotation, a guy who the Celtics absolutely abused in their playoff series last year. Um, it just gives them a little bit more lineup flexibility for 
what I think now, given uh, what we saw from the Philadelphia 76ers last night, has to be considered the overwhelmingly likely Eastern Conference Finals matchup. Um, and we'll see how that goes. But um, I, I think it's a good deal for them. I don't think it's one that particularly raises their title odds significantly. Don't disagree. Yeah, I think the Grayson Allen thing is really important. I mean, now they can roll out a team that has absolutely no defensive liabilities and, in fact, has only plus defenders if Jake Crowder is, is still the player we think he is. So, yeah, it's a problem, but we'll put a pin in that for later. Um, it's lonely at the top. I mean, part of being a defending champ or a conference champion is you don't really need to tinker with the formula. So the Celtics made an important move, but they also didn't make many moves. And instead the rest of the league lost its mind. Uh, I think, what was it? 21 transactions or something like that. We really, <laughs> we spend a lot of time saying this to be a quiet deadline. We were loud wrong about that. Um, I want to talk about two specific teams and then with the remaining time, we'll just kind of talk about whatever we want to talk about. Jakob Pertl is headed to Canada to play for the Toronto Raptors yet again. He is not coming to Boston. Justin, can you talk us through what we know about why he didn't become a Boston Celtic and if it matters? Well, the inclusion of a first-round pick that is not a Boston Celtics first-round pick was probably the deal-breaker. Uh, Boston is not going to throw in you know, one of their own first-round picks plus second-round picks plus all the salary and the talent they would have needed to get that deal done. It wouldn't realistically have been a net positive, particularly with the likelihood that Pirtle could leave in the summertime as a free agent if he wasn't happy with the size of the role he was getting, and he probably wouldn't have been happy with the size of the role he was getting. So that was really the right move for them. As far as on the Toronto side of things, what are they doing? I mean, like, this is going to get them maybe, maybe out of the first round, maybe. But what's the plan here, guys? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's worth pointing out that uh, by bringing in Mascala, the Celtics trade uh, increased their tax bill by $7 million. And so bringing in uh, Pirtle would have just increased it that much more. So, you know, the team sent, said they wanted to spend, but this is a way for them to improve the big man rotation without spending too, too much. Justin, to your point, uh, we'll talk about this later because it's still February, but right now the play-in teams are going to be probably, uh, yeah, Justin is saying, well, if they got uh fertile they'd have to match salary but you know they would whatever. it could have it could have been a fairly it could have been more been expensive above. yeah there could have yeah, been, been more expensive because yeah whatever it's over it didn't happen um the playing teams are going to be something like the nets the heat the knicks the hawks the bulls the raptors i guess maybe the wizards charitably um there are a few teams in there that would not be a fun first round matchup and the the, the raptors there's nothing wrong with them except for the chemistry, I suppose. I mean, this, this is supposed to be a good collection of players. And it is a good collection of players. So Justin, to your point, I have no idea what they're doing, except that if they think that they can, you know, wash away the stench and recapture some of the magic from last season, that's suddenly like a really, really scary play in first round opponent. But let's put a pin in that because it's February. Uh, I mean, I don't know, Alex, this was a team that like really pushed the Celtics, uh, not to their limits, but has given them troubles not too long ago. Given the season that Fred Van Vliet has been having and the kind of regression that Scotty Barnes has been showing, not that I don't think he'll be a good player. I just think he's very young. Um, and as well as some 
noise that maybe the chemistry in Toronto is not super great right now. I have a really hard time seeing this team being a significant factor in the playoffs. Um, and I don't particularly feel afraid of them in the first round. Maybe I'll eat crow on that in the future, but this just strikes me as a very strange move for a team that seems a little bit in denial about where it's at. I suspect many people were saying that about the Boston Celtics this time last year. Okay, uh, let's also talk about the Lakers because speaking of a team that's in denial, uh, uh, the Lakers no longer employ Russell Westbrook. He is, I don't know where he's headed because he was headed to Utah, but he's almost definitely going to get bought out. Um, D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt are coming to LA. Thomas Bryant is gone. Patrick Beverly is gone. Uh, Mo Bamba is in. Uh, David Reed, who I'd never heard of, is in. The Lakers really shuffled the deck and importantly got rid of a lot of um, interesting players. Shout out to Mike Connolly, who's going to the Timberwolves. That's kind of interesting, but God, I feel I feel bad for Mike Conley. He doesn't need that mess. Anyway, continue. Why does the Timberwolves will make the playoffs? I am skeptical. We'll see. Uh, they're more likely to make the playoffs than the Jazz were. I mean, I think that's probably right. I, I also don't necessarily think that they have done a great job of team building. And I no, no one thinks that. I, I kind of think <laughs> they, don't I kinda, even, they don't even think that. My they thinking might is think like that. they might think that. Well, they, so there's been some rumbles that they support uh, their new GM's decision to make that trade with Danny Ainge even still, and they're giving him more than this season to sort it out, shall we say? Uh, that might be and probably is cover story, but. For at least the external view, they are supportive still. I get the Timberwolves' desire to move off of D'Angelo Russell. I've never been a huge fan of his game, but I have to say, this move makes them worse in the immediate term. Like, D'Angelo Russell was having a pretty good season for them, and Mike Conley is just not as good of a player as D'Angelo Russell at this time. I think that the Timberwolves are going to really struggle to find offense, and particularly given that they also sent out uh, Malik Beasley and Vanderbilt uh, I just I I really have a hard time seeing how they got better in a lot of ways I feel like they got worse and Mike Conley you know I think he's a solid pro I think he's a good locker room leader um, there's a lot of things that I still like about his game but D'Angelo Russell is better than Mike Conley and has been basically all season and I, I just I just don't understand anyway continue no that's good enough for me I mean Neither none of those teams play in the Eastern Conference, so it's not. A huge... I think it's important though, in that this was clearly a move for them to try to get to their own banner eight team. Yeah, and good luck with that. Yeah, I don't think that you know this is going to be the team to get there, but as far as that goes, uh, I do think they're going to be a team that gets out of the first round in the Western Conference. Uh, playoffs but again for our perspective they're not going to be a factor I think I do want to talk about this Lakers team for just a moment because they really did wasn't that who we were just talking about it was but we didn't really get into it and now I want to talk about it (laughs) okay um so the Lakers obviously they bring in D'Angelo Russell significant upgrade at the point guard uh over Russell Westbrook at this point in his career um I think probably a player who could actually play pretty well off of LeBron James um, they end up also bringing... the perfect scapegoat if he can't. Yes, true. 
Um, they bring in Mo Bamba uh, after shipping out Patrick Beverly. They get Dave Reed, who's fine. Um, they also bring in Beasley and Vanderbilt. You know, these are four pretty solid players that they just brought in. Uh, as well as Dave Reed. Yeah, no, I, I'm including Bamba in that. Like the, the, the Lakers got some real guys here and they only gave up one first round pick to do it. So ostensibly, I think this is really good work by Rob Polinka to get the Lakers uh, to a better place as far as both their immediate ceiling now, as well as long-term uh, flexibility and what they're able to do. It still does not feel like this Lakers team is going to be that much better than they currently are. I think they're probably going to make the playoffs now. I think I think we can probably peg that, but they don't strike me as being like better than like a seven seed. And I think this doesn't answer their bigger, more existential questions about um, an aging LeBron James and about uh, what to do with Anthony Davis. So I will be interested to see what they can do with this team, both heading into the playoffs and also more importantly, what they're going to do in the offseason, because I feel like this sets the Lakers up in a much better position for offseason acquisitions than it does anything else. Yeah, it's funny. I think I think I think that, too. But if um, Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt were only good enough to get you Russell Westbrook, then like maybe not. Maybe the consensus on these assets is much lower than we thought they perhaps were. Um, it's definitely a move for the offseason. The Lakers stink. The Lakers are going to continue to stink. I mean, you don't win multiple playoff rounds, let alone like a hard-fought Western Conference playoff round with unproven talent from lottery teams and a 38-year-old LeBron James. It's just not going to happen. So it's smart. It's better than it was a few days ago, but no, the Lakers are, <laughs> the Lakers are hot doo-doo. Okay. Uh, we're running longer than we thought. Uh, we've got plenty of weeks to to understand what this means for the East, what this means for the West. Let's close. Let's each pick a trade that we didn't talk about that we want to shout out and maybe tell us the emotion that it makes us feel. I'll do a bonus one. I'll give you an example. John Wall being traded to Houston makes me feel sad. Uh, there's just no no way around it. It's a sad thing for uh, what seems like a very good man and a man who's fought really hard. So John Wall, I'm thinking about you. I hope you get bought out by the Houston Rockets again and find a new place to play. So that's the example. That's not my. That's not my answer. What are the Clippers doing? Yeah. What are the Clippers doing with their with their backcourt? I I have no idea. As an as aside, I don't want to get into it. I'm just putting it out there. They're bringing back Patrick Beverly, obviously. Uh, for me, the trade of Josh Richardson for Devontae Graham and second round picks to the Pelicans makes me happy. Because he'll get some run there. It'll make the team better, and they will make a serious postseason run on the Pelicans uh, rather than him languishing. No offense to Pop, he's running a great ship, uh, but they're doing anything over there this season, and seeing Jay Richkin getting some postseason burn will make me happy. For me, the clusterfuck of a trade between Golden State, Atlanta, Detroit, and Portland makes me confused and angry. Um <laughs> Sadiq Bey, fine. Moving off of him, I get. Like, Detroit taking a big swing on Wiseman. They have a lost season anyway, and if Wiseman doesn't work out, guess what? Victor Wembanyama is probably waiting for you at the end. So I think from Detroit's perspective, I understand it. Sadiq Bey to Atlanta, what is that really doing for you? Like, you already have a glut of wings that are okay, but not great. 
you're still kind of floating around the eight seed, not making any significant progress. I just don't get it. I don't, I don't understand why. They hate um, John Collins is why they just want to make him as mad as possible by finding another player who's vaguely similar to him and uh, not trade him. For the Portland Trailblazers, they're the ones I'm really mad at in this. Portland, what are we doing here? Are you trying to get good players to put around Dame, or are you trying to get rid of players and sell off assets and get picks? Because at at a certain point, you need to decide. Like, let's get serious. If you're going to trade Dame, trade Dame. If you're not going to trade Dame, keep getting players to try and build around it. It just makes no sense. Like, why would you get rid of Gary Payton Jr. in this situation after you signed him with the purpose of bolstering up your thin wing rotation just to, like, build a better team around Damian Lillard? Why? And for the Warriors, I am, of course, infuriated because I didn't want them to get Gary Payton Jr. back. Gary Payton Jr. gave me nightmares in the finals last year, and I'm very tired of seeing Golden State capitalize on stupid teams like the Portland Trailblazers who have no idea what they're doing. So this trade makes me upset and confused. (laughs) Uh, So the trade that I was going to shout out was Portland and New York uh, swapping Josh Hart for Cam Reddish. Uh, Archie Tiakano, who I didn't even know was still in the league, um, someone I've never heard of, <laughs> protected first round pick. Uh, I like that trade a lot. I thought it was a great trade for the Knicks. Um, they get a nice, solid player, good locker room guy, and they can keep doing Tom Thibodeau stuff. I liked it for Portland. I thought Cam Reddish was an interesting flyer. Um, this is a shadow tank. They're going to let Dame Lillard continue to pull from the logo for you know, a few more weeks, I'll probably shut him down in April with a BS injury. Yeah. I have a prediction for how uh, Dame finally is going to be traded. The Lakers? But then what? Why? Why? If the the Blazers trade Damian Lillard for Bradley Beal, they should be abolished as a franchise. Wait, if they do that, what they're doing is they're locking themselves into the exact same path that they're currently that's why, on. That's why. But with a Justin worse just player. lit a match and <laughs> I just away. like why would you ever do that? That would be. Such I mean, why a are they doing what they're doing? It just doesn't make any sense on either end. Get it together, Portland. I thought it was okay. They got five. Well, who got the? Who got all the? They got five second round picks. It's unclear if some of these second round picks are being rerouted. Or if they're yeah. just more second round picks. I guess we're going to find out sometime after this plot ends. So keep an eye out. All right. Anyways, uh, the Knicks quietly had a, a fine deadline. Um, the, the Kings of New York, the New York Knicks, not the Brooklyn Nets. It's nice. We get to root for the Brooklyn Nets again. Because, well, except Josiah and Sean Marks are absolute bozos. Okay. Anyways, happy trade deadline to all who observed. Uh, welcome to the team, Mike Mascala. Thanks to Clement, uh, Clemente Alamanza from Thunderwire for hopping on and talking to us. And thanks for liking and subscribing. We'll catch you later. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.